Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Some of our favorite celebrities are much more than just pretty faces. They're people with big hearts displaying a sense of humanity and building legacies of positive footprints that go beyond the big and small screens. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints today, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and on today's show, we're going to give you a glimpse into our lives and the people we invite into our home every day. Thanks, dear. From People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive to Ambassador of the Year for the Multiple Sclerosis Society, Don Diamond is committed to making a difference with as much determination as his bold and beautiful character, Bill Spencer, displays in the boardroom. Whether it's, uh, it's uh, um, you know, the, the MS Society or whether it's uh, specific research centers at different research hospitals around the country, you know, make your, uh, make your donations. Actor Heather Tom is also taking a bold and beautiful stance as a world traveler and advocate for charitable causes. We've focused so much on, on the international um, you know, AIDS crisis, and, and that's still very, very important, AIDS in Africa and around the world and, and, and things of that sort. But we can't forget that we've got um, a huge problem still right here at home. Emmy Award-winning actor Eric Braden is young and restless in his display of global citizenship and his efforts to build bridges between cultures. Leaving Germany was very tough. It, it was leaving the family behind uh, was emotionally very wrenching. And that applies to all the immigrants who have come here over the years who have made America. It's, it's, it's a very tough thing. It's an uprooting that you it's hard to imagine. This is World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Visit us and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Don Diamant is an extraordinary actor who has been seen on both the big and small screens. Most recognized for his role as Dollar Bill Spencer Jr. on the CBS daytime drama The Bold and the Beautiful, Don has also appeared in the film Anger Management with Jack Nicholson and Adam Sandler and Marco Polo opposite Jack Palance. Don made history when he was named in People's Magazine 50 Most Beautiful Issue and more recently in the 2009 Sexiest Man Alive issue. Don's resumes and his titles are very impressive, but the one title he treasures most is when he was named Ambassador of the Year by the National Multiple Sclerosis Society in recognition of his work and efforts to find a cure for this crippling disease. Don, welcome to World Footprint. Thank you. Good to be here. First, as somebody who has family members, uh, my sister and my cousin specifically, who are affected by multiple sclerosis, I I do thank you for your efforts uh, on on behalf of uh, you know research. Oh well, it, it's uh, it's my pleasure. You know what what whatever whatever little bit I can do, I'm, I'm uh, you know have been and continue to be happy to do. Now, uh, I understand that your niece Elisa was diagnosed with MS, and that prompted right. you to create the Don Diamant Elisa Mazur Foundation at UCLA's yep. MS Research and Treatment Center. How is Elisa yep. doing today? It's actually Elisa, and uh, and she's um, well. Uh, actually, right, most recently, she just finished her third round of a uh, chemotherapy protocol uh, because um, you know she was having some exacerbations. And uh, some other treatments she received have fallen short. So she had a, a, a wonderful response 
to that treatment. And, and right now she's doing quite well. She's able to, uh, uh, you know, drive and uh, uh, really uh, take care of herself. And, uh, you know, that over the years that has uh, at times been, uh, been quite a challenge. How old was she when she was diagnosed with MS? Well, I believe uh, she was 16 when she was actually... Uh, when she was actually diagnosed. So there was some awareness, although it wasn't really determined to be MS, but at age 13 she was having black spotting, uh, black spots in front of her eyes, mm-hmm. and, and affecting her vision. Um, I'm sorry, not in front of her, but she was seeing uh, black spots. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it wasn't really determined at that point that it was MS, but you know, not long after it, it was. Can, can so she's, she's been a real inspiration because she has uh, she just got her master's degree, in fact, from uh, Cal State Northridge oh. in, uh, in sociology. So uh, that's been long road, and uh, she's been very tenacious. Uh, wonderful, a- absolutely wonderful, and uh, you know, and I and I love the fact that uh, that that you know this hasn't stopped her. Uh, her progress, and um, you know, congrats, major congrats to her. Can you talk a little bit about some of the research that UCLA is doing, and some of the things that they may have uncovered, or some of the progress they've made in in their research? Well, I know there are, I, yeah, I, I don't know what the the uh, the, the very most cutting edge, most recent things that, that are coming out are, but I do know that that they you know are at the forefront at research, and. Um, uh, there are some very promising drugs coming down uh, the pipeline, some hormone-related drug therapy that's, uh, that uh, I think will be unveiled uh, pretty, uh, pretty quickly. So um, that's, uh, you know, that's very promising. Mm-hmm. But uh, research requires money. And uh, so anybody out there listening, whether it's, uh, it's uh, uh, you know, the, the MS Society or whether it's uh, specific research centers at different research hospitals around the country, you know, make your, make your donations. Do what you can. Well, that, that's a great segue for me to ask you uh, your website and how people can support your foundation. Well, my, as you said, it's the Don D. Montalissa Joe Mazur Foundation uh, at, uh, at UCLA's MS Research and Treatment Center. And uh, I have raised myself uh, a few hundred thousand dollars, about three hundred thousand dollars. Um, so I'm very, uh, you know, I'm very proud of that. And uh, anything, and you know, again, it's uh, it, it's terrific. Go ahead, can you contribute to, to to my foundation, but but really uh, uh, making contributions to uh, any MS uh, research facility anywhere in the country is a, is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I you know this is this is a a disease as I've experienced in my own family that you know either kind of creeps up on you or really in the case of another family member smacks you dead in the face and inhibits your 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 mobility. So well, big, well, big my niece has been at, at times in a wheelchair and unable to use her hands. You know, it's she's got progressive uh, remitting MS and. Uh, it has you know, taken its toll on her, and she was an incredible athlete, exceptional athlete. And uh, yeah, your, your, your observations, of course, accurate. You've experienced it firsthand. It's a very debilitating illness. Well, I th- you know, thank you again for what you're doing. This is very important. But on a personal note, I received some questions from uh, our listeners who are interested in knowing more about you. But I would like to ask how a nice guy from New York ended up in L.A. 
a nice guy from there. And oh, what, what is it? What does that mean exactly? <laughs> 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 like, LA is the hedonism capital of the world. No, well, no, that's what that would be my my town, Washington D.C. Um, <laughs> no, uh, well, how, did, well, did you always really, want to be an actor? I mean, did you did you? Uh, move? What brought me to from LA to New York was my dad. He was. Uh, uh, given an executive position in the company that he was working with, and uh, uh, I was only three years old when we moved, so I did not have a lot of say in it. But I'm very glad for it, and <laughs> um, so that's really how that how that came to pass. <laughs> you know, uh, was, I'm sorry. I was a little kid. Okay, uh, but did you did you want to be an actor as, as a little kid? Being in that? No, no, it really. Well, you know, not that I really realized. I mean, I, I didn't do plays in high school. I was into sports and. But I was kind of a class clown, so I guess that was maybe some indication of, of what was coming. And when I did end up falling falling into it, and that really was a result of falling into modeling as well. And then I, uh, you know, agents saw my picture, theatrical agents saw my picture of my modeling agency and asked about me. And we had a meeting, and uh, you know, lo and behold, I found that it was something that I really did have an affinity for, and really uh, just really enjoyed tremendously, and seen that I had some modicum of, of talent for it. Um, so, you know, here, here we are. Here we are. years later. <laughs> and, you know, I created a new nickname for you, and I'll be able to, you know, I'll be happy to share the intellectual property rights for, for this new nickname. But uh, Diamond Don, I thought, would be a great nickname for yeah, you. Well, Diamond is Diamond. I know. Diamond is so. <laughs> but I was Diamond kind of. Diamond okay. Yeah, Diamond Don, but it's kind of playing off your Dollar Bill Spencer character she name. Got bill. There you go. <laughs> That's such a great name. I, little, did, little did anybody realize that that was going to take off in the way that it did. Uh, you know, one time I believe it was Donna that called me Dollar Bill, and I said, you know, that's good. And I think I called Brad, and I said, that's really got to be written in a lot. we got to start using that. And sure enough, that moniker has really stuck. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very catchy. We've had pl- it on a life of its own, really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully after this interview, you know, Diamond Don will, will kind of uh, <laughs> take you to that next level, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're such a gem to talk to. So but. there was an article years an article years ago, and it was titled "A Diamond in the Rough." <laughs> so, That's geez, cute. Somebody might be somebody. Somebody might be beating you to it. <laughs> Going through through your bio and you know just doing some research on, on you, and there's a lot. Uh, you're you're. There's a lot that we don't know about you. There's a lot that that. I haven't been able to find about, you know, your past. Uh, you know, I knew you grew up in New York. Um, other, some of your other interests, although I know you like basketball, which is great. Um, and, you know, we've had the pleasure of interviewing several of your your uh, fellow cast members, and I noticed that um, most of the people that we've spoken to or have had some interaction with, like Eileen Davidson or Sharon Case or even Sean Keenan, these guys, you know, they have different different things. She, in Sharon's case, she's designing jewelry. Eileen's writing books. Um, Sean does stand-up comedy, but uh, so they, yeah, you I'm know. Just a pony. I'm just kind of an idiot. Oh no! I guess I'm a lunch. <laughs> Well, you know, is that is is that uh, well? Would you would you call being an idiot uh, uh, part of your uh, enterprising uh, alter ego? Uh, <laughs> in other words, is Bill Spencer an idiot? <laughs> no, not Bill. Bill Bill's you know, Bill, Bill's a complex and uh, 
uh, you know, character. Uh, but an idiot, no. Somewhat emotionally dysfunctional, yes. <laughs> yes. It, well, you know, that, that, that actually um, brings me to one of the uh, fan questions. Um, okay. and, and interesting, this came from a, a guy, um, Steve in Ashburn, Virginia. So, you know, to all the, the men out there listening, men do watch soap operas. And, uh, and actually, Steve is a huge fan of the CBS soaps. But his question is, what is the difference between Brad Carlton who was your character on The Young and the Restless, and Bill Spencer. Wow, well, you know, that's really just a long answer to that to, to, to that question. As we know, it turns out that Brad Carlton really had a, uh, you know, was leading, leading a, a double life, as is what it turns out after 20 years of having been on the show, or 22 years or something. And in that last year and a half or a couple of years, we found out that, that Brad Carlton wasn't Brad Carlton at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, there... They couldn't be more more different as uh, as character. And for me, to, after pl- I've played Brad for so long, and then getting the opportunity opportunity to to play uh, a character like Bill, who was so different from uh, from Brad, at least the Brad we knew for most of the, the vast majority of time that I was on that I was on YNR, uh, has just been uh, just the best experience for me. And actually. I guess the Brad that, that we found out uh, Brad to be was actually George Kaplan. That 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 Brad was more like Bill Spencer than the Brad that we knew of uh, you know, for about 20 years on the show. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so, one uh, of the... that, that's, our, that, that's, become, that's become largely our job. Yeah, one, one of the things that I appreciate um, what it, you know at least B and B is doing. I know Y and R has has. Uh, done this a few times, but particularly Bold and Beautiful, you know, as a socially conscious and responsible travel and lifestyle show, I love the fact that you guys are taking, using your platform um, to raise a, uh, awareness about social issues. Um, you know, uh, There's def- a long history of, of, you know, Brad's dad. There's a, Bill Bell always tackled social issues, current issues. Be it home on the homelessness, be it AIDS, be it daybreak, be it you know whatever it may be, um, alcoholism. He, he he was at the forefront of addressing those issues in daytime television, and uh, Brad continued that very valuable tradition. And it, he's done a wonderful, wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I and I think it works, and and it helps set you apart, um, you know, from a lot of the other shows that are running. Um, Nancy in Michigan wants to know if you prefer acting on daytime dramas or movie sets more. Do you have a preference? Well, I certainly prefer the pace that we work at in in daytime. I mean, it is hurry up and wait when you're working in in, in films, and um, so yeah. I mean, in that regard, yes, I I, I do like, and I, and I just like I I enjoy because I'm a very family oriented person, and working in daytime has really allowed me to be there for my uh, for my children, and that's you know that is paramount to me. So I I really enjoy being on a. Uh, uh, being on a, on a, in a studio and, and going to work every day and, and, and not being on locations. And again, not working at the incredibly slow pace that you work at when, you, when you're doing films. 
Mm-hmm. And how old are your children? Well, let's see. Where do I begin? <laughs> including my including my nephew, who we have raised since he was twelve when my sister had passed. He's twenty-two. Then the oldest son is twenty-two. Then nineteen. Then sixteen. Then ten. And twins are eight. Well, Five boys. So you, you you're not uh, you're not too close to being an empty nester yet. No, no, not not at all. <laughs> not at all. So, you know, in terms of, of travels, and I, I assume when you travel, you're taking family vacations. Is there a special place that... An army platoon. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. So where do you take this whole this whole group when, when you go? Is there a favorite place that you guys like to... Well, it depends. We went on a cruise last year. That was pretty fun. Uh, we'll all be going to Europe together next year. We take, you know, some local uh, local trips. Mm-hmm. We have a little cabin up in Big Bear, so we go. Uh, we go up there mostly in the winter. I, I miss that area. I'm a former Southern Cal girl myself, so right. I totally miss it. Is there um, is there a place that has offered you know a real transformative experience for you? Because you know sometimes when we travel to different places, we develop a special affinity for that place. Um, for whatever reason, but there's, you know, places will speak to you. Is there, do you have a, a, a place that does that for you? Well, I, you know, I, I've been going to Hawaii since I was a little kid, so I have an emotional connection to it, going there with my parents, and, and I really do love, uh, love the Hawaiian Islands. I just really think, uh, you know, it's beautiful and peaceful and, and relaxing, and I think Paris is just a magnificently beautiful, uh, beautiful city. So charming, so romantic. I really enjoy uh, Paris as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. W- with or without the kids? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess. Well, it's just obviously it's a different experience when you go with kids, right? <laughs> yeah, just going with Cindy is one experience. And going with kids is another experience. So. And they're both, they're both great, and they're both great in their own way, of course. <laughs> but sort of the romantic part of it is, yeah, it's not so much with the kids. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's next for you, Don? Do you have a, a movie in the works, um, a book, or you know, you guys yeah, are enterprising? It is, it is, it is football season, <laughs> and uh, uh, my, my son Alexander is a quarterback at Venice High School out here. My his his little brother, my son Luca, he's a quarterback for the Venice youth football team, and Anton and Davis start flag football in uh, in a week or so. So uh, once football season, you know, is getting close, you know, July on, really mid July on, it's all football all the time in this house. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm just working on the show, and that obviously keeps me very busy, and uh, happy to be to be working on the show. And uh, you know, that's that's what I've going on right now, working and football season. There you go. There you go. You Being can... with my children. That's that's. Uh, that's Cindy's and my greatest, uh, you know, greatest love and greatest passion. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, before uh, before we go, I wanted to wish you a happy early birthday. We're you and I are Thank only you. a thing. <laughs> we're only a few months apart, and you share a birthday with my hero, um, my late grandfather, who uh, I called Bumpy. I couldn't say granddad or grandpa or whatever, but. <laughs> That's good. That's great. Bumpy, yeah, but he was—he's my hero, and so I know uh, th- that your birthday has a very special uh, meaning for me. So happy early birthday, my dear! Oh, well, 
thank you. When did, when did you lose him? I, I lost my grandfather my second year of law school, um, 1997. Oh. Uh, so he wasn't oh. there to see me graduate, but um, but he, he's still with me. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, well, God bless him. I'm sure he's watching over you. Absolutely. And you know who one of his... Uh, most frequent uh, clients was going back to uh, clients. Um, he, my, my grandfather owned a record store in Lansing, Michigan, and he was the most popular man in the city. And I was one of the most popular kids growing up. Uh, but Magic Johnson, uh, still to this day, he talks about my grandfather. Well, I'll tell you what, we have a little Magic Johns connection there because I used to work out at the same gym as Magic, and I played uh, basketball with him on many occasions. Ran five-on-five, played one-on-one a couple of times, and uh, uh, had quite a bit of memorabilia signed by him. So there's this connection. I bet you weren't expecting to hear that. I wasn't in it. You know, it's giving me goose pimples. So when when you when you when you see Magic next time, tell him that you uh, you are now good friends with uh, Johnny Johnson's granddaughter. Okay, I'll do that. Don Diamant, thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Coming up, Emmy Award-winning actor Heather Tom talks about her life's work on and off the screen. We've focused so much on, on the international, um, you know, AIDS crisis, and and that's still very, very important to AIDS in Africa and around the world, and, and things of that sort. But we can't forget that we've got um, a huge problem still right here at home. Next, as World Footprints Radio continues. Hi, I'm Johannes from Pretoria, Gauteng in South Africa. I love listening to you, and I want you to support Ian Antonia at. World Footprint Radio. It is exciting. Oh, wow. Did you see that? Yeah, but look over here. Oh, beautiful. Unbelievable. Amaze yourself with a getaway to Arizona's Red Rock Country, Sedona. Stay three days and two nights in a studio suite at the Bell Rock Inn for just $178. That's $100 off the retail rate. Call the Arizona Tourism Center at 877-444-8044. Experience the magic of Sedona. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires December 31st, 2012. Attention Shutterbugs. If you have some great travel photographs in your collection, enter them today in the World Footprints Travel Photo Contest for a chance to win great prizes. It's free and easy. All you have to do is like us on Facebook. There are two ways to access the contest through our World Footprints Media Facebook page, or you can link to the contest from our website at worldfootprints.com. Voting for the best travel picture will commence after the contest entry date has closed, and winners will be announced soon thereafter. So hurry, because the chance to enter closes soon. Did you know that World Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make WorldFootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Hey, this is Amy. I'm from Manitoba. Woo, Manitoba. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. Locks my socks. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Heather Tom is a two-time Emmy Award-winning actress who is known these days for her role as Katie Logan on the CBS daytime drama The Bold and the Beautiful. 
Heather began acting at the tender age of two, and she's been on many roles, uh, television, in movie theaters, and live stage. But she embraces an even bigger role on the world stage as an activist and humanitarian, and we're very pleased to welcome her to our show. Hi, Heather. Hey, how are you? Good, thank you. First, I wanna, I wanna, I know you have a birthday coming up, so I just wanna extend a happy early, uh, early happy birthday wish to you. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You've actually, you've been acting your entire life, and you've had such incredible success and amazing journey. Talk a little bit about your journey from the time you were two to uh, to now. Um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, my family, um, we're all in the business, my brother and sister act as well, um, and we started in Chicago doing, uh, commercials and modeling and things like that, and we came out to Los Angeles, uh, when I was 13, and my brother and sister were, um, 11, they're twins, and we planned on coming out for three weeks, and we never went home, mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, we've been pretty lucky, I guess, um, having pretty consistent work, and, um, you know, I've been on daytime now for, gosh, 20 years. I don't <laughs> insane to even say that. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been a nice ride. Yeah, but, I mean, what a blessing because you've worked consistently that, that whole time, and that doesn't, that doesn't happen to everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, I mean, was there a time that you ever thought about switching gears? Um, you know, I mean, you, you, you were so committed. The stories that I've read about, you're so committed. You paid for your acting classes out of the money you earned from your job at a cookie shop, which I think is so <laughs> sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, we, we always, um, you know, it was instilled in us in a very young age to have a, a really strong work ethic. And even when we were working, we always had regular jobs. Um, because we know that this business is really unpredictable, and um, you know, hopefully, I don't have to go back to working at the cookie store. But uh, <laughs> um, I think that you know, my my mother really wanted us to make sure that we we knew that you know, work is important, and that's what you have to do in life to get by. See, it's those Midwest values, I say. It is. <laughs> Midwest, Midwest values. Yeah. Well, well, Heather, we know you've been on shows like Ugly Betty and Monk and in several feature films on talk shows and the stage. Has there been a favorite role thus far, uh, ones that have challenged you and your acting skills? You know, I, I really love daytime. I do. I, I think it's a really great um, medium for, for an actor. You get to play a character for many, many years. You get to play um, every aspect of this character. Um, in, in a lot of respects, um, you know, our characters have lives of their own. They, you know, they get married and have children and grow old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think, um, you know, I, I find that really exciting because every day we're doing something different and um, every day we're, we're seeing, you know, what path this, the character is taking. And, and I, that, as an actor, I find that really exciting. Now, uh, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the uh, the hour, you were um, you also have experience on the stage. You've been on, uh, you know, Broadway and and um, and performing it before a live audience is an. Inc- you know, completely different animal, and I'm just wondering if that experience prepared you for your 2004 speaking engagement at the Democratic National Convention, because public speaking is a fear and a totally different animal altogether. 
Yeah, and and it, I wasn't actually at the convention. I was at the Planned Parenthood. Ah, okay. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a little different. It was very crowded, but not quite that crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just to clarify. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have done a lot of um, live theater, and I, and I do enjoy that a lot. I don't know that I would really compare it, though, to public speaking because it's kind of a... It, it's very different to stand up on stage and be a character mm-hmm. um, and then stand up on stage in front of people um, and, and be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was definitely something that uh, I had to get used to. And, um, you know, I did. I, I have done a lot of speaking for Planned Parenthood. I, I worked for Kerry in 2004, and then I worked for uh, Hillary in 2008, and then uh, Obama in 2008. So... Um, you know, it, it is it is a totally different animal to get up in front of people and um, and you know speak from your experiences and your heart and be just you up there. It's like, it's very vulnerable, mm-hmm. and I I really do admire people that can can do it. You know, in, in a in a real way. Um, you know, really connect with with their audience. Um, you know, in a real personal way. Heather, I know that you are very committed to uh, uh, the fight against AIDS, and uh, you're involved in a number of service organizations working working with uh, folks who are afflicted with that. Talk to us about some of uh, some of your work there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, HIV um, has certainly touched my life, um, and I think you know, if we're living in this world, we we you know, HIV touches. All of us, in, in in a you know, in some in abstract ways, some in, in direct ways, and sure. um, I, I think uh, you know we've we've focused so much on on the international um, you know AIDS crisis, and and that's still very very important AIDS in Africa and around the world and and, and things of that sort. But we can't forget that we've got um, a huge problem still right here at home, right? And um, and you know we've developed lots and lots of really great drugs um, because of our efforts. You know, over the over you know the decades, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know since the '80s, but there's still a lot of work to do. And um, you know, really, what what we want to do is make sure that the focus um, remains here at home, and that the funding is there for research, and um, so that the funding is there also to help people who are um, afflicted with HIV right now. Um, I know that um, you know ADEP in our in California has been you know massively underfunded, and right now there's a wait list of 4,000 people who um, are waiting for services, and um, you know that's just, I, in my opinion, in this country, that's just inexcusable, and we really have to make sure that our you know our government pays attention to the needs of people right here at home. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you've been to, uh, to our neck of the woods, uh, D.C., to, to, you know, lobby Congress on behalf of, um, you know, Planned Parenthood and, and, and the other organizations you, you've, um, you know, you're involved with. What what do you think the challenge the roadblocks are and the, the the challenges? I mean, funding is you know a no brainer. Funding is always a challenge um, in in moving some of these uh, efforts forward. But but what types of roadblocks have you seen here, and and, and what do you want to see happen and, and and change in the near future? Um, well, I mean, as far as Planned Parenthood goes, I you know I, I think that you know the roadblocks are. <laughs> 
are, you know, obvious, and they, it starts with A, and it ends with N, and it rhymes with Smorshin, and um, <laughs> <laughs> they said, I don't remember, what was that, Knocked Up, which is one of my favorite parts of that movie. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's, you know, that's obviously a big robot for a lot of people, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that um, the challenge for Planned Parenthood and other family planning organizations is to get beyond that big red letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and and talk about family planning in a real way and talk about choice in a real way, which includes, you know, everything from, you know, access to contraception to medically accurate sex education to um, access to gynecological, you know, exams and um, pre- and postnatal care and breast exams and cervical cancer exams. And, you know, reproductive health is such a huge um it's a big tent, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and and I and I think that um, you know what I love about Planned Parenthood the most is that the the facilities are in areas where they service women where this is really the, where they're getting the the major part of their their health care and most of these women are um, and and children and men also go to these facilities and most of them are uninsured. Um, this is where they this is where their primary health care takes place. And I think that should really be the focus of, of family planning. And, you know, yes, I you know, I am pro choice and I you know, I support access to abortion, but there's so I, I support making abortions rare and um you know, ho- and hopefully in the future maybe even unnecessary because we have so much access to information and to services that prevent unwanted pregnancy. And I, I mean, it sounds like, you know, the, the, the distribution of that, that, that information, I mean, it, it sounds like, the, the, you know, one of the key focus areas is on education because it's not a black or white um, problem. It's not, you know, you, you, you do this or, or, or that, you know, you have two choices. It's really about educating people on making informed decisions or, or preempting um, you know, the hard decisions that, that, that some people may have to, to choose later on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's proven over and over and over again that when, um, you know, women and men are given the information and access to the services that they need to prevent unwanted pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, like, when you look at countries around the world who have very early, um, you know, ha- sexual health, education programs that they even start about talking about bodies and things like that even in preschool not that they're talking about sex in preschool but they're talking they're getting people aware of of their bodies and 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 you know so that you know people respect their bodies and and understand how they function in a real way and it you know suddenly you know there there are instances of unwanted pregnancy and abortion rates are super super low and so i think it just makes sense to give people as much information as you can and also to make sure that they have access to the resources that they need so that they can, you know, make informed decisions about their sexual health. Right. And, you know, I, I know you mentioned, you know, that, that the focus really needs to, that there needs to be more attention paid to uh, what's happening at home. But I'm just curious if you've traveled um for these, uh, any of these organizations, I know you travel for the show because I've, I've seen the. Um, my my husband is uh, he's he's become by default a a Y and R and B and B fan because we work we work with the show on during the day, um, but uh, it's always the background you know the background uh, uh, sounds and and what have you. But um, 
is there a destination that you've traveled to either in support of uh, of these organizations or you know for the show that's been very transformative for you? Um, well, I mean, I, like I've, I've done most of my advocacy work in the states. Um, you know, traveling for Planned Parenthood really wherever they want me to go, someplace. Um, but the places that I have been that I see, you, you know, where you know where it's such a stark. Um, slap in the face when it comes to um, the kind of resources that are needed. I've been I've been all over Africa, and uh, you know it's just amazing how much they need <laughs> over there. And and you know when you go to a, a you know a women's health facility over there, it truly is the only facility in you know miles and miles and miles around. And um, it's servicing an entire community, and it's not just a you know a reproductive health facility. It's you know it's for everything, and you know and I think that that does make us feel. It makes me feel like the problems that we have here are really um, something we can solve, and something that we have you know the means to solve if we have the political will to solve. <laughs> sure. And so that you know, in some respects, it seems like the political will should be the easy part, and. Hopefully, you know, we can, um, you know, keep continuing to move forward in a positive way. Now, Heather, with such a busy schedule, you've got to find time to recharge your batteries. Are there places that you like to go to around the world that uh, help you accomplish just that? Well, I, I just got back from Thailand. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was. I, I've never been there before. Um, my sister had been there several times, and... Um, my best friend was over there for business, and he's like, why don't you come meet me? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> no <laughs> so arm twisting. I a 17-hour flight, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and we, we spent a couple of days in Bangkok, and then we went to Phuket, and mm. that definitely um, recharged my batteries. It was great. We got massages every day. And, <laughs> um, kind of we ate our way through Thailand. I, we were just gluttonous. <laughs> oh, that, I, I love those types of trips, you know, and I mean, they, oh my gosh, in, in Thailand, uh, how is the weather there? Because I've been there in March and it was super hot in March. How was it for it you? It was super hot. Um, it was definitely hot. It was the rainy season, so like these massive, crazy, violent rainstorms would come through and then they'd, they'd blow through and it'd be beautiful again. And it, But it was, yeah, it was very hot and very humid. Um, but you just kind of get used to it, and I don't know. We weren't doing a whole lot of, like, moving around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, welcome back. I'm glad you, you came back safely here. But, uh, yeah, but that, that, that's a beautiful country, and, and uh, certainly the food as well. I can, I can oh attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> what did you have? What was, like, one of your favorite things to, uh, to enjoy? Um, well, I'm a huge curry fan, and so we, we ate curry everywhere we went, but I, I think the, the best thing we had um, was we had this whole red red snapper mm. that was like, I don't know if it was fried, and then the curry sauce was on top of it, but it was it was so delicious. <laughs> I know that sounds really simple, but like I, I'm like, this is the best thing like, I've ever, ever had, and I love Thai food, so it was really, um, it was amazing to just go and like be on the street, too, like the street food there is just insane and you can just go to a vendor and get a green papaya salad right there and it's like the best papaya salad you've ever had yeah i mean honestly the best pad thai i've ever had was on the streets and i don't usually eat street 
street food, but uh, but oh my gosh, it was it was fantastic. So I, I yeah. hear you there. What? And I know you're a runner too. Are you? Do you have any? Um, I mean, what's next for you? Do you have any plans to for to to run a marathon? And you know, on the professional side, what what's next for you? Um, well, I mean, I my um, I do triathlons, and so I've got my season's over for this year. But um, next year, I'm definitely starting to plan which ones I want to do. Um, and you know, professionally, I, I'm I'm really happy at Bold and Beautiful. I'm really mm-hmm. having a great time there. I'm thinking, you know, I love the way their character is going and, and developing, and um, you know, I really can't wait to see what happens next. So. Yeah, we, we sure will. We sure will. I happen to I happen to love the the Katie Logan character. I think, uh, and and I agree. But uh, Heather, thank you so much for for joining us today and just sharing um, with us you. and and uh, raising awareness about some very important issues. We appreciate your time. Eric Braden is captivating in his role as Victor Newman on The Young and the Restless, but he's more endearing in his real-life role as a man who is bridging cultural communities. Leaving Germany was very tough, and it was leaving the family behind uh, was emotionally very metrical, and that applies to all the immigrants who have come here over the years who made America. It's, it's, it's a very tough thing. It's an uprooting that you... Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, my name is Eva. I'm from Fiji, and I love listening to World Footprints Radio. Oh, wow. Did you see that? Yeah, but look over here. Oh, beautiful. Unbelievable. Amaze yourself with a getaway to Arizona's red rock country, Sedona. Stay three days and two nights in a studio suite at the Bell Rock Inn for just $178. That's $100 off the retail rate. Call the Arizona Tourism Center at 877-444-8044. Experience the magic of Sedona. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires December 31st, 2012. Attention Shutterbugs. If you have some great travel photographs in your collection, enter them today in the World Footprints Travel Photo Contest for a chance to win great prizes. It's free and easy. All you have to do is like us on Facebook. There are two ways to access the contest through our World Footprints Media Facebook page, or you can link to the contest from our website at worldfootprints.com. Voting for the best travel picks will commence after the contest entry date has closed, and winners will be announced soon thereafter. So hurry, because the chance to enter closes soon. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Hi, my name is Elaine and I'm from California and I like World Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tony Fitzpatrick. You may recognize our next guest from his role as John Jacob Astor in Jane Cameron's mega-hit Titanic, 
or perhaps as Victor Newman, his most famous role on the number one daytime drama, The Young and the Restless, a role that garnered an Emmy Award, several Emmy nominations, and a People's Choice Award. Eric Braden is well known for his many television and film roles over the last 50 years, and he's received many accolades for those roles. But he has also been honored for his real-life role as a humanitarian, and I am so delighted to welcome him to our show. Eric, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you, Tanya. Nice talking to you. Your, your life is, is filled with so many rich experiences and adventures. You were born in Germany. Um, given name was Hans Gudgast, and you were born in, in Kiel. And, uh, and you grew up in World War II Germany. Um, you became a track and field champion, which I think is so cool, a national German youth champion and with victories in the discus, javelin, and shot put. You and, got that all right. <laughs> how about that? And, uh, and then you immigrated to this country, the land of cowboys and Indians, and you actually became a real-life cowboy in, in Montana. I mean, what a journey for a young man, Eric. T- tell us a little bit about your early years. The, well, the early years in, 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 in Germany. I was born in 1941, so in the middle of the war. So you can imagine that was um, a not-so-pleasant time. Mm-hmm. Uh, bombings every day, and then towards the end of the war, bombings every night and day. So, um, and then, of course, in the post-war years, utter destruction. Uh, Germany was essentially flattened, mm-hmm. and, uh, and all the bigger cities were. I grew up in the countryside outside of Kiel, which was a, uh, a submarine harbor, and where they built warships, and hence it was bombed a lot. And uh, so there you are. The childhood was um, um, had a very close family, and in that sense, it was very nice until my father died when I was twelve. And um, mm. it was a very adventurous childhood in the countryside. You know, you people who grew up in the countryside very often mm-hmm. are far more advanced and far more mature than kids who grew up in cities. Mm-hmm. Um, they always talk about the early maturity in ghettos, that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Try growing up in the countryside uh, after the war, and um, you see life and death around you, mm-hmm. and um, um, hard work on farms and what have you. Anyway, it was all in all a good time. What helped me the most was sports, mm-hmm. and you alluded to that earlier, um, and still helps me. I must say that is uh, my one constant in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, do you have I think a it's favorite the best medicine there is? Do you have a favorite sport? No, you know I grew up in in as, as a boy I played from ice hockey to soccer to uh, what is called European handball uh, and then mostly track and field, discus, javelin, and shot put, and with which I won the German youth championship and team championship and in 1958 and. Um, that, I must say, helped me through very tough times. Mm-hmm. Now, Eric, when uh, you made your first major trip uh, to the United States, what was that like for you, and what was it like to see the Statue of Liberty for the first time? Well, to be honest with you, it was leaving Germany was very tough. Mm-hmm. It, it was leaving the family behind uh, was emotionally very wrenching. And that applies to all the immigrants who have come here over the years, who have made America. It's, it's, it's a very tough thing. It's an uprooting that you, it's hard to imagine. 
And but then uh, the voyage was uh, on the Hanseatic, uh, partly during rough weather, towards the end of May 1959. Mm. And um, but then I remember, never forget the moment that I saw the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. And um, then, of course, subsequently New York City, and landed in the 34th Street docks, and. You know, someone who came from a small village, now suddenly in the middle of New York. That's that's an absolutely unforgettable uh, impression. Yeah, legend has it that your first American meal was a hamburger and chocolate milkshake at no, the Empire State. No, it was a cheeseburger. It was cheeseburger. A cheeseburger. Ah, <laughs> love cheeseburger. it. You love cheese. <laughs> on, on, on top of the Empire State Building. Wow. You know, and I never forget it. Yeah. Uh, and I loved it. I said, "This, ooh, this tastes great." <laughs> so, um, and I had a had a cousin. She was a psychiatrist, so consequently, she had studied medicine. And of course, most doctors then didn't know a damn thing about nutrition. <laughs> so I asked her. I said, "Is this healthy?" She said, "Oh, it's very healthy." <laughs> and of course, the worst thing you can do, you know, <laughs> on a steady diet. But uh, so I had it for years afterwards. Loved it. Still love it. Ah, yeah. I was going to ask if you still indulge. In, in the yes, I do. At oh. least about once every two weeks or three weeks, I'll, I'll do that. You know. <laughs> well, in your honor, I'm going to have a cheeseburger tonight for dinner. Yes. <laughs> Usually go to In and Out, In and Out Burger, or whatever. Oh yeah. Lord, yeah, my yeah. my arteries won't thank me. Yes. <laughs> now, now, um, you and uh, you traveled from New York to uh, Galveston. Was right. this to meet to be with your the cousin that you just yes, mentioned? Yes, exactly. Okay. She was she, she taught at the Middle University of Texas in Galveston. Okay. Okay. Right. And I took the Greyhound bus from New York to Galveston. Now, right. you, you when you came here, you only had fifty dollars in your pocket. Right. How did you right. how did you manage that? You know, living in New uh, York and then traveling. Well, I borrowed that money to go to Galveston, and when I got there, I started work the next day. Ah, uh, okay. I paid it off. Okay. You know? Yeah. And then you you ended up going to Montana, where you actually worked as a cowboy. I had I wanted to get the hell out of Texas because <laughs> not because I dislike Texas it's because I just wanted to get away from from you know what I had become sort of a substitute parent mm. and that I wanted to escape oh and, right uh, so I asked if they knew anyone else in, in in America and they knew a rancher in Montana who had come to America as an immigrant in 1900 and he was already in his 80s and he had a ranch outside of Missoula Montana and I you know sent a telegram asking if they needed help, and uh, he said, yep. So uh, I took a Greyhound bus from from Texas to Montana mm-hmm. and arrived there in the fall of 59 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and started working as a cowboy the next day. I'll be darned. Yeah. What was that like for you? Well, I grew up on farms in Germany, so there was nothing to it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was used to hard work so from early on. Mm-hmm. I have earned my own money since I was 12 years old, so... Um, but I didn't want to stay a cowboy for the rest of my, <laughs> of my life. And although I had been enamored of that whole Wild West stories, in, in Germany we, we devoured those stories about the American West. We yeah. devoured them. And there's a famous German author called Karl May, and he wrote about never set foot in America and wrote absolutely authentic-sounding books about uh, North America and cowboys and Indians and 
fascinating. Huh. So every every German boy read that stuff. A lot of girls as well. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, obviously sitting on the saddle and riding and uh, fixing fences and, and hauling cattle down from the upper regions of the hillsides down into the lower meadows. Um, the romance goes right out of the rear end after about eight hours. Of the <laughs> sure. I can only imagine. And, and yeah. I wonder if that uh, encouraged you to take a look at uh, the University of Montana, where I understand you were offered a partial track scholarship, kind of yes. building on your athletic prowess back in uh, your younger days in Germany. You're absolutely right. Uh, I applied and... Um, you know, did some discus throwing and shot putting for the coach and uh, javelin throwing, and I get a partial scholarship. So, uh, but the partial scholarship, of course, didn't cover my living expenses. Mm-hmm. So I worked in a lumber mill outside of Missoula in Bonner. Hmm. And there was a lumber mill, and I worked in a green chain from 6 to 2 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then my first lecture was at 8 in the morning. Good grief. So uh, it was one of the toughest years I you know, ever spent, I would say, and, um, yeah. Now, do, do from, from, is that where you met uh, Bob McKinnon at the, at the university? That's right. Okay. I had a girlfriend called Dorothy McBride, who had a girlfriend called Susie Cook, and they introduced me to Bob McKinnon, who wanted to go up and down the river of no return. I know, I know, Eric. What what were you thinking, honestly? I mean, that, I mean such a dangerous uh Anything oh. I said, I said, what's the upshot? He <laughs> says, we make a documentary and go to California. I said, I'm in. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Anything to escape the drudgery of working eight hours in a lumber <laughs> mill. And then, you know, lectures on philosophy and political science and all that from eight to, to one or two. So um, I said, yeah, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Oh. And not, you know, at the age of, I turned 19 then, you're not really aware of what danger is all about. And I wasn't mm-hmm. worried about it. And uh, so we took that boat, 15-foot-long Crestliner, aluminum boat powered by a 40-horsepower Johnson motor, mm. and we traveled from Missoula to uh, Lewis and Clarkson on the Snake River in Idaho. Mm. And that's where we started out. Good grief. And they had a meeting at the Chamber of Commerce with us, <laughs> and they came up to me and said, Young man, do you know what you're getting into? <laughs> I said, No, not really, and didn't care either. And... <laughs> uh, and we embarked upon the journey and went up the snake. And that portion of it was very calm and went into the salmon. And for about, you know, about half an hour, it was very calm. And then suddenly I heard this enormous cacophony. Uh. And lo and behold, around the next bend was the first rapid. Oh, mm. my God. Oh and my I gosh. thought, holy mackerel, let me get the hell out of here. <laughs> but he didn't budge. And... Uh, and if he didn't budge, then I wouldn't budge, and pure pure male ego right. kept me. So long story short, we took us about three weeks, three to four weeks to go up and down, but almost drowned three times doing it. Yeah. And uh, it was one of the most unforgettable times in my life, I would say. Now, this unforgettable experience literally launched you into acting. You literally put your life on the line to become an actor. That's an amazing transformation. Talk about about that next transition here from from coming to America to now becoming an actor. Well, we, we went back to Missoula, Montana, and from there took a Greyhound bus to come to Los Angeles in California. 
and with a film on our arm in order to show that film at press conferences. And at that time, they had uh, Governor Knight was the governor of California. He had a talk show, and the Bill Barrett Aqua Venture. They showed that film on television several times. Oh. And we were taken around to various studios, and uh, I was asked by one of the casting people at Warner Brothers if I'd ever been interested in acting. They had seen the film. And I said, well, vaguely, what's, what's, you know, what's the story about that? So they began to tell me about the potential money you could make in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, long story short, eventually I, I did that mm-hmm. a few months later. And in German high school, I was very good in, in cold reading. Mm-hmm. In other words, in reading classical texts and interpreting them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had training in cold reading without knowing it. As an actor, to be able to take a scene pretty well cold and interpret it is, uh, is a skill that a lot of people learn in classes, but I'd learned it without knowing it. Indeed, indeed. So I got jobs very quickly. And you really, those early years, too, you spent a lot of time on the stage before moving into you know, other genres, film and, and television. Um, and you used your given name at that time, but the, I read that the studios um, started to pressure you a little bit or persuade you um, to change your name, and, and, and you said that was one of the most painful decisions you've ever had to make. Yeah. Talk a little yeah, bit about that. My real name is Hans Kudigas, and I did, a, I did a series called The Rat Patrol in the 60s uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, very popular here for a while. I was number one for a while. And uh, we filmed that in the south of Spain, and then the rest of it over here in the Mojave Desert in California. And shortly thereafter, I did a film with Raquel Welsh from Bird Reynolds called A Hundred Rifles, and we went back to Spain. And that's when I got, and meanwhile, I had done a play on Broadway. Mm-hmm. All of that with the name Hans Kudigast. And uh, um, then I was approached by Universal Studios to star in a film called Colossus, the Forbin Project, a science fiction film. Yes. A very good one. And Lou Wasserman, the then president of Universal Studios, insisted that I change my name. He said no one with a German name would star in an American picture. Hmm. So um, I thought about that long and hard and had long walks. At that time, we were back in Madrid. My wife and I talked for a long time about it. And uh, she reminded me of conversations I'd had with Kurt Jürgens and some other German actors, and they said, in Hollywood, you'll be, as a German, you'll be condemned to play Nazis. And I said, I w- want to get out of that, and, mm-hmm. uh, because it's dehumanizing after a while. Mm-hmm. Yes. And hence the change to Eric Braden. Braden is the first part of the village I come from in Germany called Bradenburg. Mm-hmm. And Eric is a you know, generic name up in North and Northern Europe. It could be English, could be Swedish, could be anything. So uh, there you are. Very difficult at first. Thank you very much, our dear friend, Eric Braden. And thank you for joining us today. If you want more World Footprints, including our World Footprints travel report of the latest breaking travel news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. While there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on Facebook and Twitter to receive updates about travel news, contests, and prize giveaways. And incidentally, we have just launched another contest, so we invite you to enter today because paradise is waiting. 
We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.